1: Just like that, the second hour is here for Hot Mike. Huddy Withrow with you across the Outkick. Now we're glad you're with us as we broadcast live from 6th and Peabody with e Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. John McClain of galleriesports.com covered the NFL for nearly five decades. A lot to hit with him today. We'll dive into that in 20 minutes. Uh, plus later, John DiFilippo, longtime offensive coordinator in the NFL, now the head coach for the New Orleans Breakers in the USFL. Great conversation there where... At one point recently, he didn't think, two different doctors told him he may not walk unassisted again, and he was able to sprint onto the field, run onto the field uh, for their season opener in New Orleans, and they're off to a great start there. We'll dive into that question and topic and discussion and much more, uh, including all the quarterbacks he's coached. You want the list? Yes. Just real, not, this Let's, isn't, go, let's not, go through some of not them. Not the entire list. It's just five quick ones. Nick Foles, Gardner Minshew, Kirk Cousins, Derek Carr, Justin Fields. We can also throw in not uh, bad. Wentz into that. As far as just different personalities and situations, I'm fascinated by how he approached those guys. It's a good list. Um, Chet, Matt Ariza, the punt god. We spent a lot of time, even prior... To the allegations, the rape allegations that came out that subsequently led to his release of the Buffalo Bills. I spent a ton of time on just him being a generational punter for the National Football League. And quickly thereafter, he was released by Buffalo due to the rape charges and a- allegations that he had had unconsensual sex uh, with someone that he thought was of age, but was uh, underage. And the bills let him go. And since then, he's been saying he's completely innocent. He he hasn't, he hasn't didn't say that he didn't have sex with the girl or woman. He said that it was consensual, and she said that she was 18. Well, per Dan Wetzel, newly released information show, he wasn't present at the time of the video that is now being used to show he wasn't there and... They may not even have the ability to prove a case of rape based on the video evidence that's being leaked with all of this. This is, this is something that is not a, not a recurring issue enough that's discussed as a top headline. But if, in fact, he's totally innocent of this, Consider the different stories you can point to. A.J. Johnson comes to mind for me in Knoxville where there are allegations that surface in November of 2014 that he is not acquitted of until July of 2018. And whenever this came out, this is right on the eve of him going to the combine. He was not allowed linebacker in the SEC, not allowed to go to the combine. And now he's bounced around the league at best as a practice squad slash special teams player when he was much better than that at the time. And in Matt Arise's case, you have people involved where, and witnesses that are saying that he wasn't present. But on top of that, there may not be able to prove a criminal case on behalf of the, uh, of the plaintiff in this, because multiple men were involved and in Arise's case, he's saying he went outside to, to pee. She approached him, and they had consensual sex.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of witnesses in this story, too, that, are, uh, that were approached by the same young woman right. that are At confirming party. that she was walking up to people, uh, essentially verbally offering herself up to the party. Um, it's a terrible situation, and it's a great lesson in there is a court of opinion, and there is a court of law in this country, and we must wait until the court of law rules and all sides of the story are released. Now, is
1: he guilty of statutory rape? Well, he still can face civil charges of that.
0: Yes, I would say so, because uh, a defense is not she said she was 18. Even though I believe him, based on witnesses and everyone else in this case that said the same thing, that she was walking around telling everyone that. Now, does that put the onus on someone to look at their ID you know, before having consensual sex with them? I, I don't know how that looks in court, but is he completely innocent of everything in this? Maybe not. Maybe he is going to face something civilly, but the big headline and takeaway was Matt Ariza was involved in gang rape when this story came out, and that was the allegation. And he's not guilty of that. He has been cleared of that, and that's an important thing to note. And here's well, the crazy thing about it, Hutton: This could cost him his career in the NFL.
1: Could, but also I don't it know could that he's going to get another name. chance. It could clear his name. This video, where it's very unclear on on if she's uh, approving of whatever's going on or not. Let's put it that way. And if you can't prove that in the video that's taking place, where Arise is not present. How can you believe her if she says that, oh, I told him I was 17? If everyone else is saying she's going around saying that she was of age. Yeah, I don't think, I
0: I, I don't know the law, but I don't think that matters.
1: Well, it's like it, she could say she was 25. It's and, a preponderance of the evidence. So it's more likely than not if it's a civil trial. Well, they're not
0: going to press charges on the allegation of gang rape because she's so off.
1: And the allegation that of the attorney representing her is saying... Arisa's attorney is leaking this um, so that they'll drop the civil suit. And he said, he, we're far from dropping those charges against Arisa. But two days after these allegations came out, Buffalo you know, kicked him to the curb.
0: They hung with him for a couple days. And, and then took, the I mean, noise got too loud but, to hold on but to But also,
1: this, is, this did not happen as he went straight into the league. This is something that had happened at san diego state but but, but yeah but like a year and a half prior where the san diego district attorney didn't bring forth charges for a while criminally so it's it it is a mess and it just goes to show like i mean false accusers should face more than just you know a fine or wasting people's time in this um it, it just they should face charges yeah, I, I, I don't. If you could prove that what the allegations are are absolutely false. Well, what's happened now to Matariza
0: and what happened to AJ Johnson, the other example, who was with the, you know, eventually got to the NFL, but career was definitely in jeopardy, and years of his life were taken away
1: because he faced
0: an allegation that was completely false. Well, let me throw one more in. So-
1: something should happen. Trevor Bauer, he has maintained yeah. his innocence, and he's been blackballed by Major League Baseball, and nothing's yeah. come of that case. The fear is,
0: in doing so, you don't want to discourage women from coming forward if they are legitimate victims of something. And that if there is suddenly, now you're on trial too, Mm -hmm. and if you aren't proven right, you're going to go to jail for being a false accuser. Right. That would scare... It's. Women are uh, many. Women are scared to come forward either way. That would scare away a lot more from doing that. So you've got to be able to prove it. That's the flip side of the argument. But if you can find malice, mm-hmm. you know it's sort of like um, uh, libel or slander, right? It's a law like that. If you can, if you can find this person knowingly did this for whatever reason, out of malice, they were angry with the person, or we have texts that show this was actually the relationship. Yeah, I think it's, it should be worse than a fine. I think there should be jail time for someone that basically ruins someone else's life or a part of it with a false accusation. That should happen. Now, how, it's got to be something that's very difficult to prove, though, also, right? There, I mean, you've got to make it really, really hard to prove. The, the standard of proof of what you're looking for with that would have to be very, very difficult. I think, for a false accuser to face jail time. But this is, turns out it's a sad story for Matt Uriza because he was charged and he was convicted in the, in the court of public opinion. And it looks like he's not guilty of
1: the crime he was accused of, even if he is guilty of something he may be civilly liable for. Well, he has filed a claim against San Diego State University for damage to his reputation. Uh, that was a document that was acquired by ESPN. But also also remember, like th- this came to light as he was drafted and, and went into the league. So this, the news came out and the accusation, the response at the time was, well, here's the text between the two parties. Here's the correspondence. There are at least two witnesses that claim that and will testify that she was going around the party saying she was 18 years old. But all of that aside, the news then comes out and hits the, the, the media circus as he's about to join the Buffalo Bills with all of the Super Bowl aspirations. And, you know, two days after this comes out, he's off the team. And there needs to be more uh, done to to dig up exactly the timing of that news and and whether or not, Chad, you're right. There was malice behind what was taking place here.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's... (laughs) And I say malice, but... If you can prove that someone knowingly, falsely accused someone and wasn't just mistaken for whatever reason, there's got to be some sort of punishment, I would think. This is a, a great example of that. Now, this one's a little bit trickier because of the statutory rape part of it that Matt Arise is not even denying. There was no rape, but by technicality, because she wasn't 18, he could be guilty of a crime by having consensual sex with her, even if she lied to him about her age. That's very unfortunate for Matt Iza, and he may be found civilly liable for something because of this civil case, but he should get an opportunity to play in the NFL, and he may never get that now. People may just say, well, we've got a punter, we're good, and not take a chance on him. And that sucks. Yes. That his dream of playing in the NFL is over, because he was accused of gang
1: rape and he wasn't even there. That's unfortunate. Yeah, but but also doesn't Beyond deny unfortunate. doesn't deny having sex with her. Right? I mean that that's the other part. He was just like it was consensual.
0: Yeah, I think there're two separate incidents. There was him having sex with her outside the house earlier in the night and then him being gone for an hour and a half when the big crime happened that she claims happened.
1: That she claims happened, which but there that, are point of view uh videos of where yes. she's not Verbally, the reports are she's not telling them no anything that you would expect them and to, to to say the video like, like, evidence stop.
0: and the eyewitness accounts are so bad for her that no authorities have pressed charges. right They have declined to press any charges. So the only hope she now has is in civil court.
1: Chad, the NFL draft could be record setting coming up. Think about the the, the players involved versus the... Oh, it was, a, was it a starting group draft? Yes. Was it a superstar draft? No, in 2023. Now think about all of the talent involved in next year's draft. And ESPN is already loading up. They are loading up the boat for this. with the quarterbacks, where the analysts this year were already saying, next year's group would go ahead of this year's group, hands down. But then you have the defensive backs... Kool Aid McKendree, and others uh, that that are a part of this, it's one of those legacy drafts for teams. And, and and thinking about this story and the the as we look ahead, keep an eye on the tanking. That's all I'm thinking as, as I'm I'm seeing all these players and the two quarterbacks. You don't want to take a quarterback early. You want to you know suck for luck or tank for Tua. I'm keeping an eye out for everything with Caleb Williams, because Arizona is loading up on draft picks and they were going to do everything in their power to make sure they can get out from underneath the, the Kyler Murray contract if they can. And if they can't, they're going to have the firepower with all of these picks to move up and go after Williams. But you still have May and others involved here too. Well, that's how good
0: this draft is, that Caleb Williams could be a generational-type talent and no-brainer number one pick, and I have a brain to say he may not be the number one overall pick. I think Drake may, may end up being the number one overall pick. He He's that good. Next year's draft in Detroit, when you look at those guys, so those two players, mm-hmm. Daniel Jeremiah, other NFL draft analysts say those guys would have gone ahead of any quarterback in this year's draft, including Bryce Young, those two alone. Now, Marvin Harrison Jr. is going to be a big-ticket item. Whoever gets him, because of his lineage, because of who his daddy is, and because how he makes everyone feel like he's their daddy in college football (laughs) right now, he's going to be a top-of-the-line player and get a lot of buzz going into next year. You mentioned Kool-Aid McKinstry at uh, Alabama, just with the first name. He's going to be a much-talked-about player. Um, How about Georgia? The draft moving – I'm sure they've got four or five guys. Brock Bowers is possibly a generational tight end talent. Also, draft going to Detroit, does that add to the ratings? Probably not, but pretty cool for the city of Detroit to get what could be a very, very highly watched NFL draft next year. And this is one truth about football. It's never too early to talk draft. I don't know about you, Hutton, but the moment this draft ended – I tell myself, well, now we can talk about where all these players landed. But what I did was I took a sneak peek at the 2024 mock drafts and looked at the top 10 10 or 15, and I immediately look at that because I want to remember how wrong everyone is. Because we know that there's going to be a couple things that are right, but there's going to be many, many things that are wrong about what we think (laughs) now versus what's going to happen. Someone gets hurt. But just looking at the top of what that draft should be with the quarterbacks
1: Mm -hmm. and with Brock
0: Bowers and with Marvin Harrison Jr., it's going to be a hell of a draft next year.
1: We'll hit some of the draft headlines and discuss the NFL topics with John McClain, including NFL schedule release. Up until yesterday, and this this is very unusual for the National Football League. Up until yesterday, they had not told their fans hey, here's the announcement for the announcement about our schedule in the fall. The unusual part of it is, Peter King was saying they may not have it ready by Thursday. They've said, okay, we, we will have it ready. But they have so many other outlets now demanding top games. There are plenty of them, including a rematch that we just watched in the Super Bowl. But you have all these international games. You have Amazon, who's paying a billion dollars for one game a week over the schedule they're also going to add a black friday game they want that to be a big matchup and then you still have sunday night football monday night football and the premium games on their their main partners i say their main partners they're true partners that we've known for decades yep john weighs in on all of that and more straight ahead on hot mic
2: with threats to our nation waiting around every corner adaptability is more important than ever
1: John McClain joins us talking NFL headlines and much more. Sixth and Peabody, our location with E.I. Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Hot mic rolls on across the Outkick Network. Find John with galleriesports.com and find him on social at McClain underscore on underscore NFL. John, how are you?
2: I'm doing great, guys. How are you?
1: Uh, fantastic. The NFL knows how to make an event out of anything. They've done it brilliantly with the NFL schedule release. But what makes it so difficult, John, is all of the networks paying billions want about how many teams as much as possible? How many of these organizations truly drive the boat for what makes the schedule so difficult to put together?
2: They wanted to make the most money. They'd have the Cowboys on every primetime game because the Cowboys draw the biggest audiences. And then you look at New York, the New York teams. Philadelphia now, San Francisco, the big markets, Packers, of course, Steelers, because they have great tradition. If the Bears ever got decent, they'd want them as well. But they can't do that because they want to spread it around. They've changed some rules this year, which uh, makes it a little more interesting. And uh, it's amazing to me. We know who the teams are going to play. We know where they're going to play. And now we just we're on the edge of our chairs trying to learn when and what time, and it's amazing. But uh, it, when they did it right before the draft, it just came and it went because everybody was talking about the draft and all the prospects. And then all of a sudden, I'd love to know who it was came up and say, "Hey, Commissioner, what do you think about we delay it a couple of weeks and just own that time period as well." And then Roger Goodell eventually had to run up the flagpole. Everybody liked the idea. And it is amazing the attention the schedule's getting that we already know who's going to play whom.
1: How many games do you think they want to get to internationally? Because they're at five this year.
2: I think they want to keep going. I remember when Oliver Luck, Andrew Luck's dad, was the general manager of the Frankfurt Galaxy. And uh, the uh, – uh, nfl europe Mm -hmm. and they were by far had the biggest attendance and they had all kind of crazy promotions and it was because there were so many guys americans who stayed there on bases after the war world war ii then guys who are on the bases permanently or currently and so then they were so successful they made oliver president of nfl europe and and Germany at that time was the one that stood out the most, and these were preseason games. You know, England got tired of preseason games. I don't blame them. They knew a dud when they saw a dud, and uh, then we give them the Jaguars. Yeah. And so I think they will do the maximum. You know, they want to go other places. They want to go to Paris. They want to go to. Uh, they want to go to China. They want to play over there, and uh, I think. They're going to do it. I remember before the Oilers moved to Nashville, they were talking about a game in Hong Kong, and I had just come back from Hong Kong and loved it. And so I told the people of influence in the NFL office who I knew because I wanted the Oilers to play there so I could get a free trip. I said, let me remind (laughs) you guys that the Oilers drew the biggest crowd in the history of pro football in Mexico stadium, Mexico City at Estadio Azteca, 112,000. And they also drew the biggest crowd in Tokyo. They drew the biggest crowd in in uh, the Sunball in El Paso slash Juarez. And I said, the Oilers know how to draw fans. And they said, yeah, but didn't they play the Cowboys in all those games? I said, yeah, but that's just a minor <laughs> thing.
0: Johnny Mac Takes Hong Kong is a movie that I would definitely watch. (laughs) I'd pay good money to watch that. Spring Breakers 2. John McClain joins us. Let's get Franco involved in that that project also. Um, Cal McNair, uh, at an event, uh, says that, uh, quote, Hannah and I don't make the picks. We'll make it clear there when talking about whether or not he forced the hand of Nick Casario to draft quarterback and C.J. Stroud. He didn't say, John, that he didn't have any influence over the pick or that he didn't suggest they should take C.J. Stroud, but he said that I don't make the picks. What do you make of his comments and what really went down on draft night?
2: I have written multiple times for years, including at the NFL owners' meetings in Phoenix. I've said on every talk show I do multiple times, tweeted multiple times, the McNairs have nothing to do with players who are acquired here. Nothing. But there are nincompoops around the country who still can't figure it out, who are clueless about how this organization is run, and they don't tell him who to pick. They pay him good money. Nick Casario has in his contract. He has final say. If Casario didn't want to hire Tobacco Ryans, even though the McNair's did, they wouldn't have made him do it. It's his the choice. And they breathed a sigh of relief when he didn't wanted him because they did too. So, all to say otherwise, and it's amazing. The national media still can't figure this out. It just blows me blows me away. So they try because it's been out there a lot. Uh, Gal McNair, before their annual charity golf tournament, said that maybe people believe it. They have nothing to do with the uh, acquisition of players, whether it's free agents or draft choices.
0: John, what do you think about this theory? I think. This whole thing is out there because national media that predicted that the Texans were out on C.J. Stroud and thought that they were, they don't want to act like they were fooled. So the better explanation for them is to say, oh, well, the owner must have gotten involved because all of my sources (laughs) say they didn't want C.J. Stroud. So must have been the owner that made them make the pick. I I think that's what's going on is a lot of national media doesn't just want to come out and say, well, I was wrong on what I reported on C.J. Stroud and the Texans.
2: Well, first of all, I'm not national; I'm local. But I was wrong on what I reported because I had him taking Tyree Wilson. Well, you said, and I know it. <laughs> that's a difference in your Nothing yeah. to do with the McNairs. I got into it with one prominent national guy who was just sure his sources were correct, telling me that that Domenico Ryan's made the pick, and I said uh, no. And then he called the next day and said, "Oh, I'm sorry." Cal McNair made him take the pick. And I said, No. How many different times do I have to tell you? Do you think you know more about the way this team operates than I do? Well, my sources. And I said, Do your sources know more than I do? I'm telling you, that is wrong. But, chat like, that's as good an explanation as I've heard. I remember right before the draft. Another prominent national person I have great respect for said Cal McNair was getting more involved. And people here that know what's going on, laugh their butts off because that's not the way they operate. They keep he and his wife, Hannah, who's very influential, up to date on everything they do. And then when they want to do something, they tell them what they're going to do. And then McNair sign off on it. They didn't want to trade DeAndre Hopkins. They didn't want to let J.J. White go, but they left those decisions up to their people. And unfortunately, a lot of decisions stuck.
1: John, I think it's an interesting question to debate here. Who's in a better spot in year one, Anthony Richardson or C.J. Stroud? They both have run games. Uh, They both have offensive lines that that the teams feel like will be better going into next year. First-year head coaches are in both spots. Who do you point to?
2: Stroud, because he played a whole lot more than Richardson. Richardson, playing 13 games in college and not playing very well, was drafted number four overall because of what he can do, not because of what he did. Uh, I mean, his completion percentage, you guys saw him, was in like 58%. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Yes, he's got incredible ability. So did Jamarcus Russell. So did Vince Young. He had incredible ability. There's a lot of quarterbacks. I'm not saying with a whole package like his, but they could run. They had great arms. They could throw on the run. They were good people. Either they got bad coaching or they got an owner who was impatient who pulled the plug on that regime and everything changed, or they were just not what they were built up to be. And so I would think Richardson, uh, I don't know how quick he'll play I'm writing a column right now for Gallerysports.com that no matter what D'Amico Ryan's, Nick Casario, or Cal McNair say, the plan is for Stroud to play, start the first game. Uh, and I would love to see it, D'Amico Ryan's first game here. I can't, first, the first game I look to every year when the schedule comes out is when the Texans play in Nashville, because that's my favorite city. And I'm kind of hoping this year is later. Or do we have a better chance of Stroud and Will Levis playing against each other than early when Ryan Tannehill is going to be playing.
1: Chris Ballard says they, they drafted Anthony Richardson because he didn't want to see Richardson become a star somewhere else on a different roster. What do you make of that? And, and the fact, and I'm, I'm curious on this, the Colts are openly telling everyone who will listen, it is going to be uglier before it's pretty with our quarterback situation but we feel like we're going to get the most out of the ceiling. What are the Texans saying about their rookie compared to the rookie who Ursay is saying is starting?
2: Yeah, they're not saying he's starting. They're saying he'll have to earn it. Uh, They, like their quarterback room, which includes him and Davis Mills and case Keenum, who was signed to be the mentor for the young quarterback. I keep going back. I said, as soon as he was signed, he's here for mentor, a quarterback. And then I, I lost track of that. Had him taken defensive end when I should have had him taken quarterback all along because that was a plan, and it was a dead giveaway that that was a plan when they signed Case Keenum his third time he's been with this franchise, and he's still beloved in the city of Houston. And uh, so, uh, I think that Anthony, Rich, I think they're all going to struggle. Yeah, you know, there's it's very rare that you see Dak Prescott won as a rookie. Russell Wilson won as a rookie. Peyton Manning threw 28 interceptions as a rookie. And so you just don't know. So much of it has to do with players around him. The Texans still lack a big-time receiver. And Robert Woods may be their best receiver. Nico Collins is, but he's hurt too much. It's going into his third year. And Tank Dell, a third-round pick from Houston, who scored more touchdowns than any player in college football last year, uh, people here are really excited for him. He's small, but he's so quick. You know, anytime you got a little guy named Tank who scores a lot of touchdowns, fans are going to fall in love with him no matter where he's from. So Stroud doesn't have the beneficiary of really good receivers. He's in the same situation the Titans are in. Actually, all of these teams, you know, they still need to add a go-to receiver unless one develops, but you can't do everything in one off season. So I would say Stroud has a better chance to start well than Richardson, simply because of the experience
1: right after the draft, or maybe it was in the final day of the draft an ESPN executive said, Hey, Mel Kiper is going, he needs to be in the pro football hall of fame. Uh, do you agree? And can you explain the contributor wing and the media wing because players are outraged that Kiper were getting in over a player. And that's just simply not how it works.
2: Well, he's not. No, it isn't, and that's a good point, John. That first of all, there's a contributors category. He won't be in that. Uh, the Pro Football Hall of Fame selects every year a broadcaster to go into the Hall of Fame. Pro Football Writers of America uh, has one per year that that our organization votes in. It's the greatest honor you can get. And I was honored in two thousand and six, and that's still along with the Texas Sports. Hall of Fame, the, the epitome of our profession. And uh, so Kuiper would be, they call it the P. Roselle Award. And yes. uh, there's a lot of competition for that. And everybody they take is deserving. And I think Mel Kuiper is deserving. He started our first year when it was on ESPN, the late great Joe Buxbaum from Pro Football Weekly. He was on there. But he didn't sound good. He didn't look good. And then they went with this young guy with a big hairdo who worked in his parents' basement and put out his own draft book, Mel Kuyper, and the rest is history. So I think, yes, he deserves to be in. But as far as being a contributor, we got owners, commissioners, coaches that deserve it way more than Mel Kuyper. I think he would be a great selection for the P. Rosell Award. And the one that I want to see get in the most, uh, if I all owners, is Bud Adams. I think it's Preposterous! Bud's not in there because you can't write the history of the pro football without Bud, and the coach is Buddy Parker. He won two championships with the Lions, and that was in the fifties. If you can win two championships with the Detroit Lions, you ought to be in Hall of Fame
0: statue. So, John, he's not eligible for the contributor, right? That that's like Ed Sables and that owners.
2: Now he could be. He could be sure anybody. He could, he's, he's eligible has anything to do would Be as a contributor, but he's not going to get in over the owners and yeah. coaches. And be, his would be because this comes from I, the, I, Hall well, of fame I, the Pete Rose
0: I'm glad Hutton asked this question because I wanted to clarify this with you about the different wings of it. Because I went through and looked at the list of the contributor category, and there's not a single person that's not employed by an NFL team or the NFL. Ed Sable was one, but he was NFL films, so there's no broadcast, there's no outside media that's in that wing. But Mel Kuyper, you're saying, could be the once-a-year broadcaster member that enters yeah. the Hall of Fame. Okay.
2: Yeah, the contributors category is people that have contributed to the success of the NFL, either as a coach, a general manager, uh, somebody like the Sables, Ed and Steve. Ed Sable created NFL films. And Art McNally, the great official, his supervisor of official. You know, Art McNally made it, but... Mel's best chance is to be selected for the P. Roselle Award uh, by the Pro Football Hall of Fame.
0: John, who are you buying now that, that Aaron Rodgers is gone from the NFC North? Who are you buying more stock in? The Bears and what they've been building or the Lions? You just mentioned them. They got a Hall of Famer who actually won titles there in Detroit or the Lions and what they've been building recently.
2: Oh, I don't know why anybody would be fired up about the Bears. They were the worst team in football last year. And uh, I watched them barely beat the Texans as bad as they were. So I, I think that uh, Detroit, which went 8-2 and two over the last 10 games, the defense played so much better under the coordinator, Aaron Glenn. And Dan Campbell, you know, people made fun of him that first year. He's done a hell of a job. Their offense is tremendous. I'll tell you what's weird. They got rid of two uh, running backs that combined for, let's 17 I think 25 rushing touchdowns, and DeAndre Swift had about three as a receiver, and they're both gone. And they've got a rookie, Jameer Gibbs, and I can't remember who the other one is, but they're taking a heck of a chance for a team that likes to run the ball a lot, especially when they get down close to the goal line. And I would hope that that part of their game, they know what they're doing because you don't want all that pressure on their quarterback, Jared Goff.
1: John, I know it, it, what I'm about to ask comes from unnamed sources here, but why are so many unnamed sources around the league hating on Howie Roseman and the love he's getting in Philly?
2: I don't know why anybody should. Roseman's done a great job. I mean, what was it three years ago? They were they won like six games or something like that, and they and then Jalen Hurts matured uh, with Shane Steichen as the quarterback, uh, offensive coordinator, calling the plays. You know, they've had some. Players fall into their laps, which is good. And uh, everybody, Jalen Carter, could be a great player, or he might be a bust, or he might be mediocre. You know, there's been a lot of great defensive players, like Jadavion Clowney. He was by far the highest-rated player in 2014, and he's still playing, although he's a mercenary again and had not picked a new team. But he's never had 10 sacks, but he's had nine. He's been great against the run. But he still is not as good as he was supposed to be. People are talking about him for the Hall of Fame. So they stockpile linemen, and they, they seem to know what they're doing. It's tough this year when you're replacing both coordinators. So far, they've been able to do that. Howie Roseman deserves all the credit he can get.
1: Finally, John, the crackdown and the investigation that we're seeing in college baseball, and specifically with Iowa, uh, Iowa State, with multiple programs. That they're investigating alabama baseball team last week this puts the 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 penalties albeit harsh in full in in full light for what the nfl is trying to avoid trying to send a message and get out front and say hey don't do it or you're out six games and that's just if you bet on sports period and if you bet on our league a minimum of a year maybe more because it's listed as indefinitely I'm, i'm thinking of their. CBA and, and the penalties involved with this compared to what college baseball and others are now going to have to look at from the college angle?
2: First of all, this is like cheating in the old days before cheating was legal. They'd get two or three schools and give them probation where well, everybody knew everybody was cheating. Yeah. And I think why guys will use their own names. If you want to make a bet on somebody, have, have somebody do it. Don't use your name, and we'd be crazy the way we promote gambling today to expect guys not to do it. I've got friends that tell me that they're that gambling is big in middle school and then high school, and so you know it would be in college. And you, it's hard to promote it and expect them not to do it. It doesn't surprise me on the college level, but in the NFL—you got to be stupid to get caught gambling.
1: Hey, what what did Mattress Mac tell Patrick Mahomes about? the bet that he made that he lost. Do you see this?
2: I saw it, but I don't have any idea because I haven't talked to him since he got back and I'm going to ask him and people, people felt sorry because Mac bet 1.2 million on uh, the horse that didn't win. But I'll tell you what, (laughs) he had a promotion that went for weeks that if you buy $5,000 worth of furniture and the favorite wins, you get your furniture free, free, free. No telling how many millions he wanted to (laughs) sell in furniture.
1: Well, I think he. I he think never he went, really loses. Mahomes was there at the derby, and I, I think Mac went up to him and said, "Hey, man, you cost me millions."
2: <laughs> I think that <laughs> he lost probably me told him Mac him so that. much. Him. Mac was. I know this. I think Mac bet on Cincinnati uh, to win. Yeah, I know he did. Okay. He told me he did uh, two years ago. He bet on Cincinnati to win the <laughs> Super Bowl, and he probably probably bet on some more this year. But uh, he sells that furniture. People are thinking, you know what, we need, we need, we should go buy some furniture. We got a chance to get it free, so let's five grand.
1: GallerySports.com is where you can check out the podcast with McLean and Mattress Mac, and you can read the great work of John John, we'll ask him that question on the podcast. Yeah, I'm I can't sure wait to hear get that into conversation. It. John, thank you as That's always. First thing I'll
2: ask him is Good. what he talked to Patrick Mahomes about before the Kentucky Derby.
1: Love having you on, man. Thank you.
2: Thank you guys very much. I can't wait to talk to you next week.
1: Yep, same here. John, we too look forward to you coming to Nashville.
2: We yes.
0: always look for that on, uh, on the like. NFL uh, schedule. That's what we're Absolutely. always looking for him. first.
1: John McClain. Follow him on social at McClain underscore on underscore NFL. The Pac-12. There is one president, Chad, who has a theory, a reason, an excuse. Oh, we all have theories. Reason and excuse? I don't know which one it is. Theories, reasons, for why excuses. the Pac-12 doesn't have their television rights deal and doesn't have the proper suitors yet that's next on hotline another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help
2: for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do?
0: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
1: Glad you're with us. Sixth and Peabody, our location. Craft Brewers Conference is going on here in Music City. We'll be trying some special Yeehaw brews coming up. Where's our beer? It's coming up in about an it's hour. It's on the way? Yeah. They've selected two Are of them. Are we going with us. something
0: else with uh, notes of honeydew
1: or Amarillo? Uh, let's see. We're going to have the hazy, the hazy, juicy IPA. Ah,
0: passion fruit is what I'm guessing.
1: Uh, this is the one with Amarillo. <laughs> okay. With, with a it. hint of Amarillo. So that's the one Chad will be trying. And then the the other one's a fruited IPA made right here on site in Nashville. A bold citrus hop note with tangy tangerine finish.
0: Tangerine and passion fruit and Amarillo
1: all in the same day. Can't go wrong. Can't go wrong. You can go wrong with the Pac-12 media deal, though. Bad optics and layoffs is what one president is is pointing to. And um, while he may not be wrong, Kirk Schultz, president of Washington State, is saying, hey, over the last five months, this has been the worst, worst financial climate to negotiate a media rights contract. Where if you want to be on ESPN or uh, other name a network, they're trying to either avoid layoffs or avoid the fact that they're going to spend millions more while laying off employees, longtime employees, pointing to financial issues. He's like, so, this is the weathering of the storm we've got to get past as a conference before we even get close to finding the right media partner for our contract. But, I mean, we've seen this happen before. ESPN's laying off employees right now, and, and recently- All of Disney. And they paid how much for the SEC? You know, they, they're acquiring the media rights deal and they're trying to negotiate more for the expanded college football playoff? Um, yeah, I mean, I I don't see that as a huge deterrent, especially If the companies, Chad, are getting value versus what they're spending, and it's a product that they can air live on a college football game day, which the Pac-12 would provide, especially late night. See, I think
0: it's the reverse of it. You know, this is like anything with the the market now. Mm -hmm. Confidence breeds confidence, breeds spending. And then as long as you can project an air of confidence in what you're doing and growth, then things are going to turn out well for you when you're at the top of your game. Same goes for these conferences. I mean the coverage of the Pac-12 mixed with external negativity and internal negativity with the conference has led to this perfect cocktail of an untouchable resource right now. That that's where it is. It's not because of optics and layoffs with media companies. It's because media companies and everyone, sports fans, media covering college college sports, they're all down on the Pac-12. And sometimes, and this is, I think it's real with them, but whether it's real or it's, it's imagined, it becomes real when the forecast is so bleak.
1: And the forecast well, is bleak right now for the Pac-12, and that becomes their reality. I'm, I, the surprising part to me is all of the college, all of the universities currently are to some extent banding together, at least from the, the front-facing Viewpoint.
0: Well, on certain issues, they're trying to come up with a consensus. I don't know. They're banding together when it comes to media rights.
1: But what we're they're banding together on and keeping the conference together, optically. This is another statement for that.
0: The the member schools.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And and meanwhile, like whenever Texas A and M, whenever we had the expansion into uh, the SEC, prior. I'm just saying prior to Texas and Oklahoma, but you had the the group of schools that were supposed to be together in partnership to vote no if Texas ever wanted in or if Oklahoma wanted in, and then of course they voted yes, right? They're gonna help Texas A&M keep those colleges out. And by, by doing so in the future, you would help schools in proximity to us, you would keep them out of the SEC as well. And of course that doesn't happen because ultimately you're looking to pair up with someone. Who's Washington State pairing up with? They're desperate for a media rights deal. People are loyal to their
0: own options. And when your options are limited, you're going to be very loyal to that option. So Washington State and some of these other programs Mm -hmm. are going to be very loyal. Cal, very loyal to the Pac-12 because they don't have many other options. If I'm Washington and Oregon right now, I'm looking around. I've got a wondering eye on some other conferences to see if there's a better opportunity because
1: right now, Pac-12 is not one of them. There's an opportunity for the Lakers to take out the Warriors. They're now up 3-1, and we've got some 2-2 series tipping off tonight across the NBA. Headlines across Hot Mike and the Outkick Network next.